Well, good evening. Um, welcome back to the third in our series of Digging Deeper on Tim's Trail. Yeah. Uh, tonight's subject is listening. And this is a subject which I would describe as the bee in my bonnet. Um, so watch out, because I could get a bit carried away. Um, listening is a huge subject, and I've got 12 books on my desk at home about this. So I could say a lot. There's loads to say, but I'm not going to say it all, and I can't even possibly try to this evening. So let me give you an idea about where we're going to go this evening with this. Well, first, I'm going to give you a bit of a recap on the first two sessions of, of where we've got so far. Then I'm going to um, focus on why is listening important at all, uh, and then I'm going to spend some time answering the question, why listening in evangelism? Because you might want to ask that question. Then we're going to get practical and look at a few basic skills and pointers, um, how we can improve our listening skills. And then very briefly at the end, I'm going to try and begin to answer the question, um, how do we get people to listen to us? So let's get started with a bit of a recap of where we are on this trail following Tim so far. In our first session, Living, we discovered that Tim is Paul's friend, Timothy, uh, and Paul encouraged Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 verse 5 to do the work of an evangelist. And we began to consider the implications that might have for us as ordinary Christians we thought about the who, the why, and the how of evangelism, and we considered the effect our changing culture has on the how of evangelism. I, I tried to describe the big shift um, in culture that's going on in the Western world between modernity and post-modernity, and um, how we might need to respond to that change. In our second session, Relating... Uh, we thought about the importance of relating to those uh, we know. We thought about what relational evangelism looks like and how it's a response to our changing culture. We thought about how we might begin to build bridges of trust between us and those we know uh, in order to earn a right to share our message with them. We were reminded by Heather again that the postmodern person is asking the question of Christianity, does it work? Not, is it true? And the only effective way for them to see it does work is if we're close enough to show them, yes, it does. So if you missed either of those sessions, particularly the one in January, and I'm not just saying that because I did it, but because the thing about culture is really foundational to what we're thinking about and all that follows in the series Kind of before we really get onto tonight's subject, I thought I'd really like to make us think about, again, something we touched on last time, and that's what are the barriers to this kind of relational evangelism? What is it that makes the whole thing a bit difficult for us? Um, I'd like to suggest a few things that stop us being as effective as we could be. And I think that first barrier is heart. 
Mm. What do I mean? Well, I kind of mean our own lack of love or concern for those around us. I describe it as hardness of the heart. And if we're honest, this plagues all of us at some time, doesn't it? So how can we change our hearts? Well, I think it really helps to realise that God is in the business of changing people's hearts. So if we ask him to change our hearts, he will. If we could glimpse a bit of God's heart for our friends, I think that would change everything, wouldn't it? I actually think as well that good listening's got a bit to play in this. If we really listened to our friends, if we really listened to the pain or the joy in their lives and we let it touch us, we might begin to love them a bit more. Don't you think? Time's the next barrier that I've got here. Relational evangelism takes time. There's no getting around it, it just does. I know I would really like to get all my non-Christian friends and family into a room for an hour and zap them with the gospel. I really would love that if that would sort them out. But... I don't think it's going to. And um, I actually think that God seems to want to use long-term committed friendships to show his love to those who don't know him. I think God wants us to commit to living and relating in this sacrificial way in order to reach our friends. So time is an issue. My third suggestion is poor communication. If we need to commit to long-term close friendships, we've got to learn to communicate well. We can't sustain relationships without it. And if we're ever going to get close enough to someone to share our news, we've got to keep communication open and flowing. And there's this thing called empathy. And I'm going to talk about this a bit later. But without Empathy, you can't really understand where someone is, how they feel, what questions they've got, or how to respond so they can listen to you. Now, you're all looking a little bit hopeless now, and I'm really sorry. (laughs) Yet, there are barriers to this approach, but the good news is that God can help us with all of these things if we want him to. So tonight, we're going to focus on the listening side of communication, and that involves looking at empathy. I think it's true that even the best listeners can improve and do it better. Uh, I don't want you to be like a doctor that I know locally who said he didn't want to go to a communication workshop because it was like teaching your mother to suck eggs. I I happen to know that although he thinks he's a very good communicator, I don't think he is. So even if we think we're really good listeners, you can learn something. If you don't think that you're naturally a good listener, let me tell you that all these skills can be learned. Uh, You can get better at it. You just have to kind of put your mind to it and commit to it and practice it. So moving on. I want to think about why is listening important at all. So in general terms, we all long to be listened to, don't we? We all long to be understood by another human being. 
I wonder why this is. Well, I think it's as if God's built us that way. He's built us with this uh, need for community, for a need to communicate with others. And listening is part of the whole, whole communication process, and we need it in order to thrive. Communication obviously involves listening and speaking. It's a dynamic, two-way process, and that builds relationships when it's done well. But without listening and without good communication, uh, relationships break down. In my role as a GP, I actually spend quite a lot of time counselling people for whom communication has broken down between them and somebody else. It seems to me that there's a load of pain and misery and even illness that could be avoided if people could just grasp this importance of communication and especially the importance of listening. Do you know, I hear so many women come and say something like, he doesn't listen to a word I say. I'm coming on to that. He doesn't listen to a word I say. He's so unsupportive. He's not interested in me. He's just interested in watching the telly or going to the pub or whatever it is. He doesn't even realise that there's anything wrong with us, between us. And if I asked him to go to marriage counselling, he'll just refuse. How does it get like that? Well, I think it's communication that's the problem every time. Can I give a tip to the men listening tonight? (laughs) No. I'm going to give you the tip whether you want it or not. When your wife is pouring her heart out to you, initially she just wants you to listen to her, to understand how she feels. I hope you're listening. Even if it's a thousand miles away from how you would feel in that situation, she just wants you to listen. She really, really, really doesn't want you to start telling her how to fix it. Not yet, anyway. All women going, She doesn't want you to tell her how to fix it, at least until she knows that you know how she feels. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not just having a go at men here. I happen to think that women can be just as bad at listening as men. But it's often in a slightly different way. You know what it's like sometimes. You get a group of women together and they all talk at once, don't they? They aren't really listening to one another, are they? They're just trying to get their point of view across Um, all at once. Now, we've got to do better than this as Christians. We've really got to do better than this. God wants us to communicate his love, and we need to do it well. So everyone has got something to learn about listening. Now, you might be thinking at this moment, okay, Julie, what, what, yeah, I can see this is true, but what on earth has this got to do with evangelism? And it's a valid question. Evangelism is about proclaiming the gospel, isn't it? 
Jesus said, go and make disciples and go and tell and you will be my witnesses. So we should just be telling them as it is, shouldn't we? Straight out, up front, right now. Let them have it. Isn't evangelism about standing on soapboxes with a megaphone and a placard? Or is it about proclaiming the message at the front of a big crowd of people and asking people to come forward to make a decision? Or is it about approaching strangers in the street or at their front door with a tract and some tricky questions? I wonder if that's what springs to your mind when you think about evangelism, when I say the word evangelism. I'm kind of hoping by now that you're beginning to understand that that's not what I mean. I think some people are avoiding me. Um, Yeah, I do. (laughs) Because they think, me and the evangelism course, because they think that I'm going to make them go and approach strangers in the street. I'm not going to do that, really, ever. Tell me off if I ever do. I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to tell you why. And it's about culture. It's about the culture that we live in. Remember the postmodern question? Does it work? Not is it true? So the kind of evangelism I've been describing... You know, the straight out, up front, right now, on the doorstep kind of evangelism. Maybe works if the question is, is it true? If they're asking that question. But it doesn't really address, does it work? Because it's done without the relationship necessary to answer that question first. So I think there's probably little point in confronting people with truth unless they're close enough to me to see that it works in my life. Strangers don't know me. They don't care what I say, even if I say it brilliantly and even if it's true. So where does listening in evangelism fit into all this? Firstly, and I've been saying this all along, this is where we've been coming from all along, is that we use listening to build a relationship. We listen to get to know someone, their hopes and dreams, their joys and sorrows, their values and ideas, and we're listening to their story. Remember that? But then what? Surely we don't just go on listening forever. Well, of course not. Remember, this is a dialogue thing. This is a relationship. So we will be sharing the same stuff that they're sharing with us with the other person. Now, that kind of thing takes time and commitment. But over time, as we listen to their story and we share our story, remember that? We're going to be using listening in another way. We're going to be listening for open doors. What do I mean? Well, As we begin to get to know someone, we want to be listening for spiritual openness. An openness to talk about spiritual things. I'm going to give you another tip. A tip on how to try to do this. So when you're talking with someone that you're getting to know, 
Often there comes a moment when you get the opportunity to drop a little hint that you're a Christian. It's better if this happens early on, but it can happen later on too. (coughs) They might ask you something like, what did you do at the weekend? And it would be completely natural and normal for any of us to say, I went to church on Sunday. Or you could tell them when the opportunity arises about your small group and how fantastic it is. Now, for me, this has been really, really easy in the past year or so, just telling people what's going on in my life and what I'm doing with my time. And it usually goes something like this. So, Julie, you work as a GP two days a week. What on earth do you do with the rest of your time? Well, I happen to have two jobs. What's your other job, then? I work for the church. Oh, surprised and shocked what do you do for the church then well I train people to talk about their faith and I lead groups for people who are interested in Christianity now at this point I am listening for an open door to tell them something else so I listen to how they respond to me now either they'll start asking all sorts of questions especially if I use the word evangelism I found Or they'll change the subject, in which case I don't say anything else, I'll just leave it there. Sometimes they'll think about it, go away, and then come back and ask me something else later about how it's going, and off I go again. Or as happened to me last week, a whole load of pain comes pouring out about church and stuff, and then I listen really hard. All I'm doing is telling them the truth about my life. No embarrassment, no hiding it, just the truth. Now, all of us can do that, can't we? And I think if you start to do that, you'll find that doors will open and close maybe, but open so that you can share. You just have to listen for them. Now, in all of this, we need to be listening to God. And this is probably the most important point. We don't do evangelism in our own strength, but in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a whole session on this, uh, on the evangelism course that I've just taught. So I'm kind of going to mention it in passing. But what we really need to do is realise that we need to listen to the person with one ear, but listen to God with the other. And we want to be asking him things like, is this an open door? Should I walk through it? What should I say? And if you try and do that, it really helps. I think all of us can do the things I've mentioned so far. Now I'm going to get on to the trickier stuff about listening. We need to try to listen to the emotions behind somebody's words. So this is in the context of a relationship with somebody. And this is what uh, empathy is about. It's the beginning of trying to listen with empathy. We're trying to understand what the person we're talking to is driving at. And that means we have to try and feel what that person feels. Now this is really hard work this kind of listening is hard work because empathy isn't just sympathy and it isn't 
even, well, how would I feel in their situation? Although that's a start, it's more than that. Empathy is how does this person that I love or, you know, I'm talking to, how does this person actually feel in this situation, even if it's not how I would feel? A link to that is listening for the need. Now, people will often hide the need that they have from you until they've proven that you're trustworthy. And then they might, if they think you're safe, tell you what their need is. But they'll only do that if you let them. You have to let them. And linked to both those things is, is listening for the real question. Again, people often hide the real question behind another one until you've earned the right to hear it. And I'm going to try and illustrate what I mean in these last three ideas for you with some stories that have happened to me, real stories. As a doctor, I know that when someone comes through the door, they've got an agenda and they want me to address it. Trouble is, particularly British people, um, um, mainly English people, no, British people, just, it's not always obvious. They like to hide their agenda behind something else. And I have to use, they do, and I have to use all of my listening skills to make sure that I get to the agenda and address it, or they will leave thinking, I don't know what I'm talking about. Take a woman with a headache, for instance, and I saw recently... So all her symptoms sound like a normal stress headache to me. I've asked all the right questions, I've examined her thoroughly, and I've concluded that she just needs a bit of a rest. Now, I could have sent her away at this point and thought I'd done such a great job. But, listening carefully, I picked up that actually her emotion was one of fear and um, uncertainty. So I told her that I'd picked this up, that I'd noticed this, and we talked about it, and I listened. Her real question turns out to be, have I got a brain tumour because someone I know knows someone who died of a brain tumour and their doctor told them it was just a stress headache? Emotion, need, and the real question, that's what I'm always listening for. So, okay, that's a medical example, but what about in evangelism, spiritual conversation? How does this work? Why does God allow all this suffering to happen? That's a question I get asked all the time, all the time. Now, if I just listen to the words in that question, I might be tempted to kind of go off on a, a, a monologue of theology about, you know, suffering and all that stuff. I'd really rather not do that, but I might be tempted to do that. But if I listen to the emotion, the need, and the real question, I'd be doing a much better job. So once I was listening to that very question, and I discovered that the emotion behind it was actually pain, real, personal pain and suffering. And the real question was, why did God let that awful thing happen to me? 
So the need was for me to listen and understand the person's pain, not launch into theology, because that really wouldn't have helped. So what did help was after I had listened, was being able to say that God was angry about their pain too, and that he could help them through it. I didn't have to get into any of that theology of suffering stuff. Another time, I've listened to the same question, and the emotion's been quite different. It's been more arrogance. Go on then, answer that one if you can. What's the need there, do you think? What's the real question? Well, I have to say, it had nothing to do with the theology of suffering. Nothing at all. Um, This person was using the question as a smokescreen to hide behind there was something they really didn't want to talk about which they knew would make them vulnerable to God so they asked that question to throw me off track how did I know that well it's to do with the relationship and also with listening really well you might be interested to know how I dealt with that so I didn't launch into theology that would have started a heated debate, which is probably what they wanted. It's never a good idea to get into an argument, believe me. I've tried it, it doesn't work. Instead, I turned the question on them and said something like, oh, well, that's, that's a hard question. How would you explain suffering? But I did it in a kind of gentle, diffusing kind of a way. And it stopped them in their tracks long enough to calm down. And it dispelled some of the arrogance because they had to think about what their answer was going to be. And they began to be able to listen a little bit better. Um, I'd say, as another tip, answering a question with a question is a really good idea sometimes. Don't do it all the time because it's infuriating if you do it all the time. But sometimes it's a really good idea. It helps you to get to the bottom of what the real question is. And, you know, if you're in a sticky situation, you really don't want to answer that question about, you know, the suffering thing. Try it. Jesus did it all the time, by the way. So, back to this list. Do you remember? The final one on my list is listening to check understanding. What do I mean by that? Well... Just imagine that you're at the point of explaining a part of the gospel to someone. It's important that you check understanding along each step of the way. Now, you might think the important thing to do is to get the whole gospel out there right now. But actually, believe me, there's little point in doing that if you've lost them in the first sentence. If you're listening well, you should be able to tell if they've understood what you've said so far. You should notice if they've glazed over. You should notice if they're struggling to accept anything that you've said. And if you notice that, you need to stop. Just stop and maybe explain a bit more. I think the problem here is partly to do with the fact that we don't often get into this type of conversation... And when it happens, the adrenaline starts to flow and we think, oh my goodness, I've got to tell it all now because I'm never going to get another chance. Or 
We've been taught a gospel outline and made to think that unless we get it all across right now, we've failed. I want to say really strongly, no, no, no. So those thoughts. I hope you're beginning to see that if we're thinking about relational evangelism as a way of life, we don't need to feel like that. If we're building relationships, dropping hints and looking for open doors as we go about our everyday life, these opportunities will happen naturally. Now, there's nothing wrong with learning a way of explaining the gospel, and we're actually going to do that as part of the series. But we need to be able to listen well enough to know when to be flexible with it and even have the courage to stop halfway through if needs be. And I've done this on a number of occasions on the courses that we run, explaining half the gospel one week and making them wait till the next week. And it feels really strange, but it's not a bad idea. If we're having these conversations in the context of relationships, you don't have to say it all at once. Much better to do it a little bit at a time. Before someone loses interest. I think one of the skills of communication is to say just the right amount and leave people wanting to know more. Now, because of that, I think now would be a great time to break for coffee because you are beginning to glaze over. <laughs> and during coffee, I want us to consider some questions. Uh, and after we've talked about the answer to the questions, we're going to think about more practical ways of improving our listening skills. The questions aren't on your sheet. They're right there. So the, the question I want you to think about, because actually, I don't know if you thought about listening in evangelism before. I've thought about it a lot. But, you know, you might be thinking, what's she on about? So I want you to talk about what you think about the whole idea of listening being part of evangelism. Which areas from that list uh, of listening in evangelism are easier? And why is that? And which are harder? And why is that? So, should we just move on to the, the next bit, which is more practical? And, and given that we've said that listening is really important, um, I, I want to give you some pointers to, to help us kind of try and improve our listening skills. Uh, Keith was sharing it with me at break time how terrible he is at listening. It's quite a funny story, but I won't tell it now. Um, so, you know, come on, Keith. You can do it. Now, some of you will be really familiar with this kind of stuff. And it, yeah, it does come out of the secular world, mostly, out of kind of, um, you know, listening um, as a kind of therapy and all kinds of... But, the, you know, it comes out of the secular world. I, I'm not going to apologise for that, because I think they've got a lot to offer us, actually. Um, if you're really familiar with this, I want you to think about, OK, how can I apply this to me in my sharing my faith with my friends? How can I use these skills to listen better to my friends? And for those of you who haven't heard this kind of stuff before, just have a think about, you know, how are you doing generally in the area of listening? So how can we learn to listen well? Well, firstly, 
we need to use our ears. Now this might sound obvious, and of course it is. But did you know, uh, communication research estimates that it's only 10% of what a person is trying to communicate is actually comes in words. There's another 30% that's conveyed in uh, the sounds of the voice. Things like inflection and tone and speed and volume, that kind of stuff. So we need to remember to listen to the words, listen to the sound of the words, and as you mentioned earlier, listen to what words aren't being used. Um, There's a lot about that as well. And at the same time, don't forget listening to God with the other ear. We were having a conversation about that over there earlier on, about what does that mean, Uh, big subject. I kind of just meant, you know, when you're in that situation, you're thinking... Is this an open door? It's, it's kind of those little prayers. It's about knowing that God's with you and asking him to help you and guide you in the situation rather than just doing it in your own kind of strength. So we listen with our ears and we listen with our eyes. What about the other 60% of communication that goes on? The nonverbal stuff. Uh, that's got something to do with body language. It includes facial expression, eye contact, posture and gestures, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to give you a lesson on reading body language because it's a massive subject. Um, And there are loads of books you could read about it. But my point is that in order to listen well, we need to use our eyes. We need to give someone our full attention. That means looking at them for a start. I know another doctor in, in nearby who can't keep eye contact with anybody. I don't know how his patients put up with it because he just can't look you in the face. So you need to be able to look at people and give them your full attention. Don't be distracted if you're going to listen really well. We need to make eye contact. You need to look like you're interested. You know, if you're slouched there and you're kind of, you know, it just... Get, People aren't going to bother talking to you if you like that. So you need to look like you're interested. You, you might want to lean forward or something. You know, just look like you're actually interested in what they're saying. And you need to be able to observe the other person really carefully. So you're using your eyes to look at what's happening, what their facial expression is, what their body language is, what their eye contact is like, all, all that kind of stuff. You're using your eyes all the time. Now, the other thing we need to listen with is our heart. Do you remember what I said about empathy and, um, you know, listening with empathy? When you listen, you have to listen with your heart. What emotions are there behind the words that you're hearing or the words that you're not hearing or the the, the body language that you're getting? What are the emotions behind that? Now, I'm aware that this might sound a bit soft and fluffy, okay, a bit girly. But I want to say, believe me, this kind of listening is hard. It's really hard. It's not fluffy at all. Listening with your heart actually involves courage and patience and risk because you're risking kind of yourself in this. You're risking... um, listening to great joy or pain and actually letting it move you 
letting it touch you. And that might challenge you to stand with them and feel their pain with them. Or it might challenge you to get really involved. And that is hard. It's much easier not to bother with this kind of listening. But this kind of listening, it takes courage and it takes risk. Do you know, it reminds me a bit about Jesus and the way that he identifies with us and stands with us and took the risk to come and feel our pain and all that kind of stuff that we've been hearing about. And maybe he would like us to listen and be like that as well, to risk using our hearts in listening. So eyes, ears and heart, mouth. We need to listen with our mouths. Does that sound a bit strange? (laughs) You're looking a bit... "Mm." What I mean is, um, we need to use our mouths to check that what we've discovered so far, that we've discovered the right meaning in the message that the person's trying to tell us. We need to ask questions to kind of clarify that we've understood. And we need to use our mouths to prompt people to say more. You know, you can use a simple phrase like, go on, or can you say a bit more about that, or in what way? Or Heather demonstrated this last time. If you're trying to get somebody to say something a bit more, in a bit more depth, you can just kind of um, repeat the last word or phrase that they've said to you, and you will be surprised that people will just carry on. We need to check with our mouths that we're reading their body language and emotion correctly, and, and we need to do that by kind of asking, oh, have we got it right? And we do it tentatively. Not a, aha, I know what you're feeling, it's this. Because that's really off-putting, because nobody wants to disagree with you if you say it like that. But you do it tentatively, and this is called reflecting. So it's a way of showing the person that you're listening to that you're really trying hard to understand what's being said before you do anything else, or that any, before you tell them what you think. You're just trying to understand what they're saying. So you might say something like, Let me see if I've got this straight. Are you saying, or you might say, if I heard you correctly, you're saying this, or so you think. And then you'd reflect back the kind of emotion uh, that you've heard, you think you've heard, the message that you think you've understood, but doing it tentatively so that they can correct you if you've got it wrong. And you listen again. I use this all the time at work. Uh, in general practice, this is also called signposting. You, you get to a point in the conversation where you're checking where you've got to. And you try and summarise what's been said. And believe me, knowing that in a few minutes you're going to have to summarise everything that's been said to check that you've understood it, really concentrates the mind to listen hard. So... Finally, in this section, before I get you to do something, don't interrupt. I think if there's one skill I'd really like you to take away with you this evening, it's this one. I find people who interrupt really irritating. And I actually find, personally, if I'm in a group of women, particularly, who are all talking at once, 
I'm really quiet because I just can't interrupt. It's not in me to do that. So I end up not saying anything because I just can't get in there. You can't get a word in edgeways. Do you know when you interrupt somebody mid-flow, do you know what you're showing them? You're showing them that you're thinking about your response more than anything else. You're not actually listening. You've stopped listening. You're thinking about your response. You're trying to fix it. It also says that what you are going to say is much more important than what they've got to say. It's rude, actually, isn't it? I think if you're in the habit of interrupting people, okay, I want you to stop it. (laughs) Break that habit and don't do it anymore. (laughs) I'm sorry. Maybe it needs to be forgotten. (laughs) I'm sorry, Margaret. Just, you know, the reason I'm saying that is because sometimes people say the most important thing that they want to say till right at the end. And if you interrupt before they've finished, you're going to miss the most significant point. It's so true. People come with a list of four things they want to talk to you about. And the doctors, even though it's got a sign on the door saying you can only talk about one, four things. And you can guarantee number four is the most important thing. Or it's the thing when they get to the door and they say, oh, by the way, that's the most important thing. And they've used all the other stuff to check that you're going to listen. I often feel like saying, can you start at the bottom of the list and work your way up? I don't. But, you know, people often leave the most important nugget to the end. And if you interrupt them, then you've lost it. And they're not going to bother talking to you because, you you know, you've interrupted I know that when you're sitting in the doctor's waiting room, and it seems like forever, doesn't it? Part of what you're doing is working on and rehearsing what you're going to say when you get through the door, don't you? Yeah, it's not just me. Yeah, I'm sure you do. You're sitting there thinking about what you're going to say. Have you ever got in there and you've got halfway through your story and you've been interrupted? Isn't that annoying? Yeah, somebody's nodding. That's good. Do you know, there was a bit of research done a while back about this, and um, they found that it took an average of just 11 seconds for a doctor to interrupt in this situation. 11 seconds. But they also found that if the doctor deliberately didn't say anything until the person had come to the natural end of their story, it really didn't take much more than about a minute for the person to do that naturally. But they also found that It was just such a better experience for the patient because they were allowed to say what they needed to before they were interrupted. I think that's so kind of true. I do that. I don't say anything until they've stopped talking. Um, And it, it really makes all the difference, I think. So I, I just want to encourage us all, if we're in this, you know, we're listening, we're trying to listen well, Just keep quiet until somebody's finished what they're saying. Even what what you think is saying is so important. Hang on to it, okay, until they've finished. Because there might be something else you need to say. Doesn't James 1 verse 19 say something like, Be quick to listen and slow to speak. 
So this is biblical stuff as well. Now, I kind of realise that I've had to kind of skirt over the surface of this stuff because, well, it is a huge subject and there are lots of really good books you could read. But I just wanted to give us a bit of a flavour of, of where we might need to go if we're going to try and improve our skills. So I think what I'd really like to do now is get you lot to try this out. And I'm going to make you do a listening exercise. I'm really sorry. What are you going to have to do? <laughs> no. Is split into twos. I want you to work with one other person. So choose carefully. <laughs> um, and it's just it's just a bit of fun. And I just want us to see how difficult actually listening is. H- how difficult it can be to listen and not to talk. So I want you to split into twos. One of you is going to uh, listen and the other one is going to speak. And after a while we'll stop that and we'll kind of swap roles. You need to decide who's going to speak. The person who's speaking needs to think up of a story, something that's happened to them, which was good, which was fun or made them feel great, a really good emotion, uh, something real that's happened, so keep thinking. And um, you're going to describe it to the other person who is going to listen really hard. The person who's going to listen is going to listen without interrupting, You're going to listen with your ears, your eyes, and your heart. And the only way you're going to use your mouth is to do those kind of natural prompting things, like going, oh, yeah, that kind of thing. You're allowed to do that. That's okay. (laughs) If you want to do it like that. And you're even allowed to to kind of do that um, repeating the last word thing to try and get them to carry on if you need to. But you're not allowed to say anything else. And I'm going to time you, and I'm going to give you two minutes to tell your story. That's going to feel like an age. And at the end, I'm going to tell you to stop. And then I want the listener, the person who's been listening, to reflect that. Tell the person what they heard. Tell about these. Tell the story if you want to, but include the things like the emotion that's been you, you've heard, um, and just check that you've heard it correctly. And I want you to stay in your twos to do that. And then we'll just tell each other how that felt. (laughs) So you need to get into your twos, please. You see, in evangelism, isn't that our ultimate aim? Well, at least don't we want people to listen to our message so that they can hear God speaking through us? What we want is to let God use us to change somebody's mind about him. So how do we get someone to listen to us without kind of knocking on their door and grabbing them by the throat? <laughs> now, um, there's this guy called Hugh Mackay who is a uh, psychologist. He's an Australian psychologist, professor, and he's written this book which is called Why Don't People Listen? And I know I said earlier I wasn't going to apologise for it being a secular book, but of course there's no secular sacred divide, is there? So... Thank you. I was listening this morning, and i just like to say that um, God gave us these skills and abilities. So, okay, so it's, you know, the uh, non-Christian writers have written about it, but we can use these because these are God-given things, actually. All right? So there's no divide here. We can use these things. So this guy, Hugh Mackay, fantastic book. All right? 
uh, I can't let you have my copy because it's not mine. It belongs to somebody else and it costs 180 quid on Amazon, this book. Anyway, fantastic. Um, I've got quite excited about it. Why don't people listen? Sorry. He's come up with 10 laws of human communication. And I think four of them particularly uh, speak to us in this whole area of evangelism. And I want to share them with you. Now, his third law, so there are two before this, but this is the one that I think is really important. He says that when people's attitudes are attacked head on, they're likely to defend those attitudes and in the process reinforce them. I'll say that again. When people's attitudes are attacked head on, they are likely to defend those attitudes and in the process reinforce them. So this is partly why I've got this bit of a problem about confrontational evangelism. Because if you just confront people head on, attack, what they are going to do is defend their position. No matter what you say, they're going to defend their position. And actually, in the process of defending their position, they're going to reinforce it. So I think we need to stop thinking that we can argue people into the kingdom because we can't. It's never a good idea to get into an argument with anybody. It's actually counterproductive. And I said before, I've tried arguing people into the kingdom. Oh, it really doesn't work. You know, when people argue, they kind of state their point of view. Then the other person states their point of view. Then they state their point of view louder. And then they state their point of view louder. And there's no, you don't listen. You just defend your position when you're arguing. Okay, so... I think what we need to do is to grasp the idea that we've got a, instead of confrontation and arguing, we've got to model grace and acceptance to people. You can actually listen to somebody's point of view and really understand it, and you can disagree without attacking. Okay, I think there's a lot in there, but I'm just kind of wrapping up, so anyway... His fourth law says, people pay most attention to messages which are relevant to their own circumstances and point of view. People are only going to listen to the messages that they think are relevant to them. So if you're saying something to them which is not relevant, they're not going to listen. So we need to get to know people well enough so that we know what's relevant to them. Like my friend, who's an ordinary housewife, what's relevant to her? I need to know what is relevant to her. What messages can I convey that are relevant to her? We've got to start with their agendas and not ours. Do you know, telling somebody straight out that they're a sinner is a sure way of stopping communication. It's judging. It stops communication. Now, it might be true... It's going to stop communication because they just can't see the relevance of it and it's judging. We've got to start with areas of common ground and agreement in order to get inside somebody's ideas. It just makes people more willing to carry on communicating with us. His fifth law says, people who feel insecure in a relationship are unlikely to be good listeners. So, we've got to make people feel secure in their relationship with us. 
and then they might listen 